This is the Morning Rush. Coming up on today's show, we'll cap the weekend for the Bucks, O's, and Nats. And wow, what an absolutely crazy, ridiculous, bonkers weekend it was. Now we have an open champion. The Pens and Caps leave some interesting names unprotected in the expansion draft. Major League Baseball drops the hammer on another idiot fan. All that and more coming up in the next two hours of the show. Good morning to you. How the heck are you? So glad to have you on board. So glad you could take some time to tune in and hang out as we kick off yet another work week. Several ways to get involved on the show. As always, hit me up on Twitter at WCMD Morning Rush. At Rush Tony C. That's the letter C, not the word C. On Facebook at WCMD Cumberland Radio. Rush line is open 301 759 2628. Your chance to dial and dance. Shamo. 301-759-2628. And of course, uh, our podcast page on the free Podbean app. Just uh, download the app to your phone or tablet or other such device. And uh, search WCMD Morning Rush. And we upload every show every day. Just for you. Go back and check out anything that you may have missed. Uh, I have been pretty much off the grid for the last several days. I am fairly certain that I did not tweet a single thing, put anything on Facebook. I just I fell off the face of the earth, which is what I do. I, I've, I've said this before. I make no apologies for it. When I take a long weekend, when I take a vacation from work, I do not work. That is what a vacation is for. That is what time away is for. I check emails, right? Stuff like that. But I get away from work so I don't have to work. It's kind of the point of the whole thing. So, you know, I told you last week uh, I was getting away. Some friends, we went down to my brother's house in Richmond. We do it every year. I highly suggest it, not coming with me, but, you know, getting your own friends and make time at least one trip a year somehow some way get together and just keep that that content it's one thing to sit there and text people you're gonna pick up the phone and call them if you want but when you get together and you spend a couple days it's just, there's nothing like it and it's something we've been doing uh for several years now it's always a great time it's it could be a little bit, you know, uh, tiring, I guess, for lack of a better word. I'm a little bit dried out today. <laughs> if you catch my meaning. But uh, it was a fantastic time to get on there and see all my boys and hang out by the pool. I got way too much sun. Way too much sun. I mean, Burnt. Burnt the very first day we were down, day we were down there. I even I even spritzed up. I got I got the sunscreen. 
Now, look, I didn't take any of my own. I forgot. Wanted to run to the store, forgot to pick it up. And my buddy George had his uh, sunscreen, which happened to be SPF 15. And if you put on SPF 15, you might as well just not put anything on at all. You might as well just go walk on the surface of the sun while you're at it. <laughs> because it doesn't work. Anyway, aside from the uh, the sunburn and the extreme fatigue I am feeling right now, uh, it was a fantastic weekend. So yeah, I was off the grid. I didn't tweet anything. I didn't. We, I mean, we hardly we had sports on in the background. I know we had uh, the Open Championship on for a good portion of the weekend, and we'll talk about that later in the show. We had uh, the Bucks Suns on in the background. We'll have you know talk about that later in the show. That crazy, really just terrifying situation in Nationals Park Saturday that I didn't know anything about. All I got was the email. I got the notification from the Nationals that said that uh, Saturday night's game was suspended in the sixth inning. And I didn't read any further. Because I, I just assumed it was a rain delay. Right? Because we, you know, we carry the Nats here on this station. We are a Nationals affiliate. So we get the notifications if, you know, the game is, you know, because we have to make the adjustments. So I got the email saying, hey, game was suspended to 6 a.m. I'm like, All right, well, they got a brain. So, they'll, you know, it got rained out Saturday. It really didn't know to the next day what went down Saturday. Just absolutely, what the hell is wrong with people? But like I mentioned, it was uh, an extremely bizarre, crazy weekend uh, in baseball. And that's where we'll start as we uh, finally kick off the show with a rock around the region. I want to rock! And speaking of crazy plays, crazy plays, they just they seem to follow the Pirates uh, everywhere. <laughs> everywhere the Pirates go this season, there, it seems like something crazy goes down. Yesterday, no different as they took on the Mets at PNC Park. The situation, Bucks had bases loaded, in the first inning, already up 3-0. One out, and Kevin Newman uh, at the plate. And a swing and a little number right up the third baseline. Fair ball, fair ball. Fair ball, and he threw, the and dugout. He threw it toward the dugout. Here comes one run to score. Polanco Maybe another one. Here in. comes another run. The ball is Don't still just sitting out. there. The on-deck circle. Three runs are going to score on a ball that went 10 feet. And Jeremy Riggs, a home play umpire, said fair ball. It was on the chalk when the pitcher, Walker, took it with his glove and deflected it toward the Pirates' dugout. And now someone's been thrown out of the game. I think it's Rojas, the manager. Well, and he is in the direction of Riggs. He has to be restrained. He just pushed an umpire. He's, Rojas he's, just pushed Larry Van over. He'll be. He'll, he's going to get a suspension. Oh, yeah, for that. Wow, he is hot right now behind he, home plate. He can't be physical with the umpires. Wow. Three runs score. Newman is at second base at 6 nothing. Pirates on a ball that went 10 feet up the third base line. Wow, that ball's sitting on the chalk line. You can't touch it on the chalk line. Right. That's a fair ball. So, I mean, I don't know what he's arguing about. You cannot hit a ball off the foul line. Yeah, it's uh, on the foul line. It is a fair ball, and that's exactly what happened, Bob. It looked like it had gone foul and then spun back into fair territory. Joe Block, Bob Walk the call on the Pirates Radio Network. 
And boy, they explain it perfectly. Newman hits that little nubber that it actually bounces right off the bat in foul territory. Dribbles up foul, but it has it has spin on it. So it starts to spin back towards fair territory. Tawan Walker shoveled the ball towards the dugout to keep it from rolling fair. Problem was, it was already fair. It was laying on the line. And while he and the catcher and the third baseman stood there and arguing with the umpires, the Pirates were just rolling around the bags. And and they came to score to make a 6 nothing bucks on, on a ball that like went 10 feet. Bases, a bases-clearing single that went 10. The best thing that could have happened to the Mets right there is if Walker put the ball into the dugout. And he said after the game, that's what he was trying to do. He was trying to shovel the ball and just chuck it into the dugout. It would have been a dead ball, and not everybody would have scored. And I've, I've seen guys do that before. You've seen guys r- rush, race to the foul line to keep a ball, and they'll just they'll scoop it and pitch it. They'll shovel it away from the foul line. <laughs> Walker thought the ball was foul, and it wasn't. So all those guys come around to score. Bucks have a 6 nothing lead. Walker lasted a third of an inning. Gave up six runs. He was done. Uh, that was the good news for the Pirates. The bad news is that the Mets bullpen came in and threw eight and two-thirds shutout innings after that, which opened the door for this. Conforto, it's a high fly ball, deep center field. Reynolds is back at the wall, and it's gone! A home run! Michael Conforto gives the Mets the lead. A two-run homer to straightaway center field off of Richard Rodriguez. And the Mets have come all the way back from a 6-0 deficit. They have taken a 7-6 lead here in the top of the ninth. The call on WCBS. Only the Pirates could be gifted three runs like they were in the first inning. Only the Pirates can be the beneficiaries of that crazy bases-loaded play and then find a way to flush it all. I swear, only them. Rodriguez comes in, he blows the save in the ninth, and the Mets come back and beat the Bucks. 7-6 to avoid a three-game sweep. Uh, Newman, Ben Gamble, and Wilmer Defoe each had two hits for Pittsburgh. Elsewhere, the Nationals and Padres wrapped up their series in D.C. on Sunday, but not before they wrapped up their game from Saturday. The game was suspended, and most of you know this by now, but we'll go over it anyway. The game was suspended midway through the sixth inning when there was a shooting right outside of Nationals Park, right off the third base side of the park, right outside as the game's going on. Here's how it sounded with Dave Jagler on the Nats radio network as he wrapped up the uh, top of the sixth. They tack on three insurance runs on five hits, all singles. One man left. Eight for San Diego. You could clearly hear those gunshots in the background. You can clearly hear Dave, like he paused. Like what? what like, he heard something, but he wasn't quite sure. 
And he was on with ESPN Radio afterwards to give more detail into what was going through his head as that was all going down. Clearly heard kind of a, a repeated popping sound. And as, you know, in your mind you're going, was that, did I just hear what I, what I think I heard? Well, you know, maybe not, but it, it clearly threw me for a loop and I kind of stumbled and then, then threw it to break. And then, you know, very quickly kind of looked down on the field toward the field and, and noticed, you know, some fans kind of streaming out toward the exit uh, in the center field gate. And immediately they're, they're telling the Padres to get off the field. So at that point, you know, it kind of confirmed it, you know, the worst fears to, to what I heard. And at that point we're kind of exposed, you know, looking out beyond center field to some, uh, you know, to some apartments, hotels, so you fear the worst. So I basically got, got under the, the counter. The shooting turned out uh, to be an exchange of gunfire between uh, two cars. Three people were injured, including a woman who was leaving the game and just waiting for an Uber. She was grazed in the back with a bullet. Two other people involved, the two other injured, they walked to the hospital. But you can imagine how absolutely insane that would be. I mean, right outside the park. I mean, you could you could hear how clearly you heard those gunshots on Dave's microphone. And at that moment, nobody knew if the shots were coming from inside the park, outside the park. Uh, who, who was it? Uh, Tatis Jr. ran down the left field line to get his family out of the stands. There were there were fans in the dugouts. Fans were like streaming out of the park, not knowing what was going on. And after about 10 minutes, uh, Nationals Park put up an announcement saying the shooting was from outside. Please stay in the park. And then they said, well, now you can safely exit through a couple, you know, I think it was right field, center field, whatever. Just an absolute, you don't, unfortunately, that's the state of this country these days. But man, I mean, you don't expect to go to a game and have that go down, right? Maybe, unfortunately, maybe we should. It was just a, uh, an incredibly uh, disturbing situation. And it's not like, you know, these open, these open air ballparks and stuff. It's not like there's a whole lot between you and, and, and the out, you know, the street, right? It's, it's the gate. And that's pretty much, like you go to PNC Park, you go to these new ballparks, you walk out, boom, you're right there on the street. You're right there on the sidewalk. It's not like, there's a whole lot of protection between you and what's going down outside. That's why you can hear those shots so clearly. It's cra- anyway, uh, fortunately, not many more people were injured from, than that. You had to see anybody get injured, but it could have it could have been it could have been a lot worse. So the game was suspended. It was picked up yesterday afternoon. The Padres leading 8-4. to They went on to win the game 10-4. to uh, Tatis Jr. had four hits and scored twice for the Padres. Ryan Zimmerman homered for the Nats, who up to that point had lost six straight games. They snapped that streak in the regularly scheduled game. Here's the kick. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball to deep center. Grisham going back. Still back. Way back. And it's over his head. Off his glove. The call again on the Nationals radio network, Alcides Escobar, a walk-off single 
to give Washington an 8-7 win. Uh, Escobar and Juan Soto homered in the eighth inning to give the Nats the lead before San Diego tied it back up again in the ninth. Uh, Soto and Josh Harrison each ended up with three hits. Nationals, their first win this season when trailing by two runs in the eighth inning or later. They are now 1-36 and 36 in that situation. All right, so much for late-inning heroics. And last, but certainly not least, the Orioles were trying to help Matt Harvey get off the schneid against the Royals. Bases chock full of birds. And Arias goes after the first pitch and hits it fair in the right field. This is going to score multiple runs. Wins and Hayes. Stewart will stop at third and make it a two-run double and another two-hit game. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sportsnet, that two-run double by Ramon Urias. Try that again. It's Monday. Ramon Urias is all that Harvey and the O's would need as they blanked KC 5-0. Harvey ended his personal nine-game losing streak by going six strong innings. He allowed just three singles, walked one, and struck out two to earn his first win since May 1st. He had been winless in 12 starts since then. It was the first time since September 2018 that Harvey went at least six innings without allowing a run. Uh, Urias and Austin Hayes each had two hits for the O's. And that is your walk around the region, perhaps the longest one we've ever done. Uh, brought to you by the Caprella Group. I guarantee that's the longest rock around. We've never had a rock around the region last until the first break of the hour. It was the first time for everything. So there you go. Getting back to that Pirates game for a second. They blew uh, the six-run lead yesterday, right? Six-nothing after the <laughs> That's terrible. It's not this you blew a six-nothing lead. You blew a six-nothing lead after the first inning. You had eight more innings to add on to that lead, and you failed miserably. And there was one situation, I think it was the sixth inning, maybe the seventh, I can't remember. The Bucs had bases loaded and nobody out, right? At that point, I think it was 6-4, maybe 6-5. So an opportunity to add to the lead. And the bases were loaded with the 7, 8, and 9 hitters. Right? So you got bases jacked, nobody out, and the top of your lineup coming up. Not only did the Pirates not score with bases loaded, nobody out. They didn't even put the ball in play. Adam Frazier, Wilmore Defoe, both struck out looking And then Brian Reynolds struck out on three straight pitches. And I said to myself, and I may have actually tweeted, that might have been my first tweet of the weekend. Maybe it was, I think it was after the fact, after the uh, Conforto home run. They deserve deserve to lose. You deserve to lose anytime. Anytime. I don't care. You deserve to lose a game when you have bases loaded, nobody out. And you can't even put the ball in play. Three straight strikeouts. 
Now, look, I will say this. The home play umpire, I can't remember who it was, uh, questionable calls against Frazier and Defoe. Very questionable. The called third strikes. But that does not leave them off the hook because you learn in Little League. You learn when you are six and seven years old that if you have two strikes on you, especially with guys on base, you protect the dish. If it's anywhere close, you have got to get bat on ball for no other reason, just just to foul tip it, just foul it off, to stay alive. Find a way to survive and stay alive with two strikes. Frazier and Defoe both just stood there and watched strike three go by. Were they bad calls? Maybe. After watching the replay, they may have been strikes. But point being, they were way too close <laughs> to let go with the bases loaded. And then Reynolds gets up there. I know, I know this wasn't what he was thinking. I know this wasn't what he was doing. But he couldn't have looked any more disinterested in that at-bat. And if you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. He looked like he couldn't have cared less. Because he gets up there, Brian Reynolds, the all-star, watches the first two strikes right down the middle of the dish. He's down 0-2, and then he just waves at the third pitch. That's a foot outside, and that was it. Only the Pirates can have a 6-0 lead in the first inning, gifted three runs, and find a way to not score the rest of the game with a bases loaded, nobody out. You're perfect. I know I, nobody's perfect. Hitting a baseball is not easy, especially at the major league level. But you're major league hitters. You got bases juiced, nobody out. You got to put the ball in play. Even if it's a ground ball double play, you're going to score at least one run if you're Adam Frazier. The one, two, three hitters in the lineup, strike out, strike out, strike out. They deserve to lose. And this coming off of what happened on Saturday. Because they were losing 6-0 on Saturday. And they come all the way back. A Defoe had a three-run homer to kind of get the Bucs back into it. And then Jacob Stallings, the cheetah, Mr. Clutch, a two-out walk-off grand slam in a bomb of the ninth. And they win the game 9-7. And then they turn around the next day and they blow 6 nothing lead. <laughs> it's the first time in the history of the National League that a team rallied from six runs down to win one day and then lost after being up by six the next day. Never happened before in the history of the National League. And it's only the fourth time in Major League Baseball history it's ever happened. And leave it to the Pirates to do it. Leave it to them to somehow be involved in something like that. Down 6 nothing one day and win, up 6 nothing the next day and lose. You, you can't even try to be that, right? You, you can't even try to be that insane, that crazy. Only the Bucks, Pirates 
Pirates baseball catch the fever. All right, time for a break. When we come back, the Pens and Capitals uh, had to reveal their protected list for the upcoming expansion draft. Who was protected? Who was left hanging out the dry? Stick around. That's next. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. There is such a uh, distinct difference in how you feel when you get somewhere and in how you feel when you're leaving somewhere. You know how it is when you get to a destination, You maybe it's a long weekend or a vacation or whatever it is, week off, how excited you are, how everybody's in just high spirits, how everybody's just like, yeah, let's go. Then at the end of the weekend, it's just like, oh, I got to make this drive back home. You know, the weekend's over. You're upset. You're a little bit, you know, you're disappointed because the vacation or whatever it is is over. Get those post-vacation blues, right? And depending on how, you know, how much fun you actually had, it takes a while. And the order, trust me, the order you get, the harder it is to (laughs) recover from the long weekends. Anyway. Ah, Hockey. We're talking hockey. All right. So uh, teams had to turn in their protected lists for the upcoming NHL expansion draft as the Seattle Kraken get ready to play next season. I I can't get over that name. I just can't. As is the norm, uh, there were some interesting names left exposed for Seattle to take. And a lot of people started losing their minds when they saw the Capitals left Alex Ovechkin unprotected. And those are likely the same people who don't realize that Ovechkin is an unrestricted free agent. (laughs) So even if Seattle took him, in the expansion draft on Wednesday, they would only have control of him for about mm, eight days because his contract expires July 28th, and that's where UFAs can then sign with whoever they want to. And guess where Ovechkin's going to sign? Yeah, he's going back to Washington. So it would make abs- – and people were, like, freaking out on the socials. Like, oh, Alex Ovechkin's unprotected. Oh, my God. Yeah. It would make zero sense for Seattle to take him because they'll lose him anyway. They will have him under contract for eight days. And he's going to then he'll sign back with Washington. And by leaving Ovechkin unprotected, knowing that they're going to re-sign him anyway, you know, that the Caps were then able to protect a guy like uh, Daniel Sprong, right? And same goes for, I know Colorado fan, uh, fans were freaking out whenever they saw the Avs left uh, Gabriel Landeskog unprotected. But it's the same It's the same situation. The Bruins with Taylor Hall, uh, the Hurricanes with Dougie Hamilton, they're all exposed. But again, they're all going to be free agents. And then they can sign with whoever they want to starting July 28th. So those big names left out there, they're all going to go back to their old teams, more than likely. More than likely. Now, for those of you who don't know, when there's an expansion draft in the NHL, each team is allowed to protect seven forwards, three defensemen, and one goaltender. 
or they can protect eight skaters and one goaltender if they feel the need to protect a fourth defenseman, which actually kind of rarely happens. Then the expansion team, in this case Seattle, they get to take one player from each team's unprotected list to build their roster for the first season. And the Kraken will begin selecting players. It's Wednesday, right? Yeah, Wednesday, 8 o'clock. And it's like a 90-minute special, and it'll be televised on ESPN2. The only team that didn't have to turn in a protected list was Vegas. Because the Gold Knights, they're exempt from the expansion draft because they just came into the league in 2017. So the Kraken will get to pick one player from the other 30 teams. And teams also engage in like a little little side action, little back back alley dealing to kind of ensure a certain unprotected player, you know, doesn't get taken, you know what I mean? Like a little little phone call to the side, hey, if you leave this guy alone, don't take him, then we'll, you know, we got your back and we'll give you a little draft pick here, a little something there. It's a little bit shady, but it happens. Now, along with uh, Ovechkin, the Caps also uh, left unprotected defenseman Justin Schultz and uh, Brendan Dillon and Zdeno Chara. Now, Seattle, they're not going to waste a pick on Chara. He's like 84 years old. There's also Carl Haglin, uh, Connor Sherry, Nick Dowd is unprotected, Garnet Hathaway. The Caps also left four goaltenders unprotected including a Vitek Vanacek. That could be interesting. You look at the Penguins, uh, names that kind of stick out to me are Jason Zucker, uh, Brandon Tanev, and defenseman Marcus Pedersen. I can't believe, cannot believe, the Pens chose to protect a guy like Teddy Bluger. Nothing against Teddy. But they didn't leave Tanev like dangling out there for the taking. Again, unless there's a little side deal that the Pens and the Kraken strike that ensures that you know Tanev is kind of kind of off limits. But I love Brandon Tanev. I love his game, his speed. The dude goes hundred miles per every time he hits the ice. Every time, like my favorite Penguin, literally is Brandon Tanev. And if 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 Seattle takes him, I'm I'm just I'm gonna be upset. I'm gonna be upset. Now, Zucker is interesting because the Pens gave up a first-round draft pick to get him in February of 2020, not too long ago. And he still has two years left on his contract. But he's out there unprotected anyway. And, of course, the Pens protected who you would expect, Crosby, Gensel, Malkin, Latang, right? I'm a little shocked that they protected Jeff Carter. And, again, you know, uh, left a guy like Tanev out there. And I like Carter. He was a great pickup last year at the deadline. He did wonders for them in the playoffs. I love Jeff Carter. But I don't see Seattle wasting a pick on an aging veteran. So I, like, if I'm the Penguins, I, I would be confident that if I left Carter unprotected, that I'd get him right back. So I, I, you know, I'd rather leave Carter unprotected and, and keep Tanev close to the vest. And again, unless... The Pens in Seattle have some kind of deal that says, hey, you leave 10 of alone and we'll slide you a draft pick whenever. So it'll all go down. We'll see. And it's only one player. I mean, you have these this list of like 15, 16 unprotected players. They can only take one. 
So you're getting the rest of them back. But sometimes that one can, you know, it could be a little gut punch if, if you like the player or if he's been a productive player. Some other big names before we go to break here. Uh, the Ducks left Adam Henrique center. Uh, he's uh, exposed. Uh, the Sabres, uh, Jeff Skinner. Uh, Carolina, one of the greatest names in hockey. Uh, Nino Niederreiter is unprotected. Uh, who else here? Max Domi from Columbus. Uh, the Stars. Uh, left goaltender Ben Bishop uh, unprotected. As did the Kings and goaltender Jonathan Quick. Now, Quick's 35 years old. I don't know if you want to take an, an aging goaltender with your expansion pick, but you never know. You never know. And then, see, Minnesota goaltender Capo Kakinen. I love hockey names. If you go on ESPN site, well, the Devils left P.K. Subban. I didn't know that. How about that? That's a big name for you. The Islanders left uh, Josh Bailey and Jordan Eberle unprotected. So we'll see. There's always a couple surprises in the expansion draft. Always a couple big names from teams that you just, you somehow, some way expect the teams to get them back, and they don't. They go to the other team. So we'll see. All right. uh, One final break, and then back to wrap up our number one. Stick around. WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Some programming notes. Uh, of course, I'm here today. Uh, the venerable one, Mike Burke, uh, back in studio with me tomorrow, Wednesday, and Thursday. And then I'm gone again for a week. <laughs> it's vacation time, baby. What are you going to say? I'm not going anywhere. I'm just not going to be here. Got the long weekend last weekend. Worked four days this week. And then I'm gone for another eight days. So there you go. Ah, good news. Major League Baseball dropped a hammer on that idiot who hit Boston's Alex Verdugo with a baseball. You see this? It happened, uh, was it Saturday, I think? They were playing in Yankee Stadium, and Verdugo took a baseball and threw it up to the stands to uh, a, a little kid. Some moron at Yankee Stadium intercepted the ball, and threw it back at Verdugo and hit him in the neck. And fortunately, thankfully, uh, Major League Baseball found out who this chooch was and banned him from attending any game, any Major League Baseball game, for life in any stadium. The only thing I regret is that uh, they didn't reveal his name. Because, again, I would love for leagues to start finding these people out and just putting their names all over the place. Like embarrassing these, making examples of these morons who continue to embarrass the human race by acting like this at ball games. Seriously. Uh, after the incident, here is uh, Yankees manager Aaron Boone. Someone threw the ball and hit him at point blank from behind. It's awful, embarrassing, unacceptable. Um, my understanding is they they did catch the guy. Hopefully he's in jail right now. It's just a bad situation. And and if I was Alex Cora, I would have done the same thing as far as going out and getting his guys off the field. And and there's zero place for that in this great game and in this great rivalry. Yeah, Cora took the team off the field. He took the Red Sox off the field 
because of what that, that fan did. And, and, right, and rightfully so. Because you don't know. You don't know. Look what we talked about what happened at the Nationals game Saturday. You don't know. And there's just no place for that stuff. And Verdugo, of course, he turns around. He's shouting at, at the crowd. He, you know, he had to be restrained. It's just, people are just so dumb. They are. People are just so dumb. Not all people, but there's a certain faction of people that are so dumb that it's make the human the rest of the human race look ridiculous. Like, what are you doing? First of all, what are you doing stealing the ball from a kid, right? That's what Verdugo said he was doing. He was throwing a ball to a little kid in the stand. What are you doing intercepting the ball and then chucking it back? I mean, what are you thinking? And then I find out, uh, this is from NJ.com, that the fan wasn't even arrested. He wasn't even arrested. Like, how does that not happen? How do you not get arrested for that? Like, if, if that happens anywhere else, like if you're just walking down the street one day and somebody just hauls off and smacks you in the back of the neck with a baseball, that guy, that person's getting arrested, right? <laughs> you're going to file charges. Like any other place on the face of the earth, if someone hits you in the back of the neck with anything, you're getting arrested. But a dude in the ballpark, and eh. But I am happy to see, again, Major League Baseball uh, dropping a hammer and, and, and making sure this moron can never attend another Major League Baseball game for the rally. I don't even know if it's a – I assume – it's a him. Okay. It said Verdugo was not hurt. And uh, and we move on. Yankees released a statement saying, uh, while the Yankees appreciate the spirit and passion of our fans in our various rivalries, especially with the Red Sox, reckless, disorderly, and dangerous behavior that puts the safety of players field staff, or fellow fans in jeopardy will not be tolerated. There is absolutely no place for it at Yankee Stadium or anywhere else for that matter. There's no place for that crap. The more, you know, when, I, when I see stuff like that, the more severe the punishment, like the happier I am. I'm serious. If you, Hey, what do we always say? Right? Act like an idiot, you get treated like an idiot. Right? You want to act like that? You want to do something dumb like that? Then you're getting treated like that. And whatever happens, I still can't believe he wasn't arrested, though. That blows my mind. That blows my mind. I've seen and I've heard of people getting arrested for less. Let's put it that way. Let's put it that way. Anyway. All right, coming up next hour, uh, we'll rock around the region. It'll be a very lengthy uh, rock around the region as we recap a, a, a crazy weekend. Uh, with the O's, uh, Bucks, and Nats. Uh, we'll also talk about uh, yesterday's Open champion, uh, Colin Morikawa, little NBA talk, and I don't know, whatever else I feel like. Taking your phone calls, too. Uh, 301-759-2628. Hit me up on Twitter, at WCMD Morning Rush, or on the Book of Faces, uh, at WCMD Cumberland Radio. All that stuff coming up uh, in the next hour. Please be sure to stick around for that. I timed that very poorly, by the way. 
<laughs> was about 15 seconds off from actually nailing it. But I started that way too early. Now, here I am, just killing time. Waiting for the 10-second mark of the music. There it is. Hour number two, Round the Bend. Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. That's where we're going to start right now with another rock around the region. I want to rock right now. Uh, Crazy plays seem to follow the Pirates everywhere. (laughs) Everywhere they go this year, it seems like something crazy goes down. Yesterday, no different. As they took on the Mets at PNC Park. Situation, Bucks had bases loaded in the first inning, already up 3-0. One out, and Kevin Newman at the plate. And a swing and a little number right up the third base line. Fair ball, fair ball. Fair ball, and he threw, and the and he threw it toward the dugout. Here comes one run to score. Polanco Maybe another one. Here in. comes another run. The ball is still just sitting there. The on-deck circle. Three runs are going to score on a ball that went 10 feet. And Jeremy Riggs, a home play umpire, said fair ball. It was on the chalk when the pitcher, Walker, took it with his glove and deflected it toward the Pirates' dugout. And now someone's been thrown out of the game. I think it's Rojas, the manager. Well, and he is in the direction of Riggs. He has to be restrained. He just pushed an umpire. He's, Rojas he's, just pushed Larry Vanover. He'll be... He's going to get a suspension. Oh, yeah, for that. Wow, he is hot right now behind he, home plate. He can't be physical with the umpires. Wow. Three runs score. Newman is at second base at 6 nothing. Pirates on a ball that went 10 feet up the third base line. Wow, that ball's sitting on the chalk line. You can't touch it on the chalk line. Right. That's a fair ball. So, I I mean, I don't know what he's arguing about. You cannot hit a ball off the foul line. Yeah, it's on the foul line. It is a fair ball, and that's exactly what happened, Bob. It looked like it had gone foul and then spun back into fair territory. (laughs) That was the fantastic call by Joe Block and Bob Walk on the Pirates Radio Network. Just an absolutely incredible uh, chain of events there. Again, remember earlier this year when the Pirates, when Craig Wilson ran a guy back to home from first base? Remember that? These things follow the Pirates everywhere. And what really happened was when Newman hits that number, it it bounces in foul territory first. But it had spin on it. So it starts to spin and roll back towards the foul line. Walker, still thinking the ball was foul, just took his glove and scooped it. And just shoveled it away because he wanted to keep it. That's what they're taught, right? You, you've seen before pitchers kind of race to the foul line or first baseman or third baseman. Before the ball can roll back into fair territory, they hurry up and they just shoo it away, get it away. Well, Walker did that, but the ball was on the, it was still fair. The ball had rolled back onto the chalk. And while he and the catcher and the third baseman, they're all arguing with the umpire, the Pirates cleared the bases. All three. All three guys came around to score on the ball that went 10 feet. So Walker just is a bonehead play. And he said he was trying to just throw it in the dugout, which actually would have benefited the Mets because it would have been a dead ball. And so not all three runs could have scored. I've never seen anything like it. I've never seen a bases clearing would it turn out to be a single, a bases-clearing single that went 10 feet. 
It was it was fantastically disastrous. So it was six nothing bucks, right? Walker lasted a third of an inning, gave up six runs, he was done. Now that was the good news for the Pirates. Uh, the bad news, uh, the Mets bullpen came in and threw eight and two-thirds shutout innings, which opened the door uh, for this to happen. Conforto, it's a high fly ball, deep center field. Reynolds is back at the wall, and it's gone! A home run! Michael Conforto gives the Mets the lead! A two-run homer to straightaway center field off of Richard Rodriguez. And the Mets have come all the way back from a 6-0 deficit, they have taken a 7-6 lead here in the top of the ninth. The call on WCBS, Rodriguez comes in, blows the save in the ninth. The Mets come all the way back to beat the Bucks 7-6 and avoid a three-game sweep. Uh, Newman, Ben Gamble, and Wilmore Defoe each had two hits for Pittsburgh. And only the Pirates, really could be gifted uh, three runs like that. Only the Pirates could be the beneficiaries of a goofy play that gave them a 6-0 lead, and then they find a way to blow it. Like, only only that team. Only that team. I don't want to hear about the Orioles. I want to hear about the Diamondbacks. I don't hear, only the Pirates could do that. And that came a day after they came back from 6 nothing down to win the game. Jacob Stallings had that walk-off grand slam, bomb of the ninth. First time in National League history that a team came back from six runs down to win. And then the next day, blew a lead of six runs to lose. It's never happened before in the history of the NL. Only the fourth time ever. First three times were in the American League. Only the Pirates could do that. (laughs) Only they could be involved in something like that. Incredible. It really is. And I knew the game was over. I said this in the first hour. It may have been the sixth, maybe, I can't remember, sixth or seventh inning. Pirates still had six, I think it was six-five at that point. Six-four, six-five. They had bases loaded, nobody out. The seven, eight, and nine hitters got on base for the Pirates. All right, so you got bases loaded, nobody out. You have your one, two, and three hitters coming up. Not only did the Pirates not score, they never put the ball in play. Which that that boggles my that blows me away. How you how and I understand you know not hitting a baseball is not easy at the major league level or any level for that matter. I understand things happen. But for a to call yourself a major league hitter, three straight guys, they all struck out. Frazier and Wilmore D. Adam Frazier and Wilmore Defoe got caught looking, which is criminal. And then Brian Reynolds went down to three straight pitches. And I said to myself right there, they're going to lose this game. They still had the lead, a chance to tack on. And, and you learn this stuff back whenever you're seven years old. When you got two strikes on you, you protect the dish, especially when you got guys on base. Bases loaded, nobody out. Frazier and Defoe just, no, look, they were questionable. 
they were borderline called straight threes. But if the pitches were that close, you should be swinging the bat. You should be at the very least trying to foul them off. At the very least, try look. Even if you're phrase, you, you come up, you ground ball, double play, you score a run, right? But to stand there with a bat on your shoulder, both of them, Frazier and Defoe, that's criminal as major league hitters. And then Reynolds comes up, and I know this wasn't his attitude. I know this wasn't what he was thinking going in, but it looked it looked like he could not have cared less about that at bat. If you saw it, you know what I'm talking about. He watched the first two pitches go right down the pipe for strikes. Then the third pitch, he waved at a ball that was a foot outside. It, it, he looked so disinterested in that at bat with the bases loaded. Maybe that was the effect of watching the two guys ahead of him stand there and watch called third strikes with the bases loaded. To not even put it in play? Now, you give credit. Who was the pitcher? It was, uh, what was his name? Loop. L-O-U-P. You give the Mets pitcher credit for getting out of that jam. But come on. Bases, you're seven, eight, nine hitters low the bases, and you're one, two, three, strikeout, strikeout, strikeout. It's the Pirates. That's the Pirates. All right, moving on. Uh, Nationals and Padres wrap up their series in D.C. on Sunday, but not before they had to wrap up their game from Saturday. And that game was suspended. And I told you a story uh, earlier how, you know, because we, you know, we're a Nationals affiliate, right? We, we play the Nationals games here. So I get the notifications when something goes down and didn't watch a whole lot of sports over the weekend. I mean, we had it in the background, but we didn't really pay attention. I saw a notification that, you know, the Padres Nationals games, it was suspended Saturday after the top of the sixth. And I just, I didn't read any further. I assumed there was a rain delay. I had no idea what happened until the next day. That the game was suspended uh, midway through the sixth inning because there was a shooting right outside of Nationals Park, like the third base side of the park. And this is how it sounded. Uh, Dave Jagler uh, was calling the game on the Nationals radio network as he wrapped up the top of the sixth inning. Is the attack on three insurance runs on five hits, all singles. And one man left. Eight for San Diego. And you could clearly hear those shots in the background. And you heard him pause. And and understandably so. And uh, Dave was on uh, ESPN Radio afterwards uh, to give uh, more detail on what was going through his mind as uh, that whole thing went down. Clearly heard kind of a, a repeated popping sound. And as, you know, in your mind you're going, was that? Did I just hear what I what I think I heard? Well, you know, maybe not, but it, it clearly threw me for a loop, and I kind of stumbled, and then then threw it to break, and then you know very quickly kind of looked down on the field toward the field and and noticed you know some fans kind of streaming out toward the exit uh, in the center field gate, and immediately they're they're telling the Padres to get off the field. So at that point, you know, it kind of confirmed you know the worst fears to to what I heard, and at that point we're kind of exposed, you know, looking out beyond center field to some. Uh, you know, to some apartments, hotels, so you fear the worst. So I basically got, got under the, the counter. Now, can you imagine that? Can you imagine being at a game and then all of a sudden you hear shots ring out and having no clue 
where they were coming from. You know, Dave just said you had fans streaming out of the stadium, not knowing that the shooting was outside. Like they were literally running to where the shooting was coming from. And after about 10 minutes, the Nationals posted an announcement on the jumbo that said, you know, the shooting was outside, please stay in the stadium. Then after thing, you know, everything was cleared, then they said you could exit through a couple, I think it was a right field and uh, center field exits. And the shooting turned out to be, it was an exchange of gunfire between two cars right there on the street. Three people were injured, including one woman who was leaving the game. She was just leaving the game, waiting for an Uber, and a bullet grazed her back. I mean, can you, can you imagine? Can you imagine? The other two people injured, I, I apparently walked to the hospital. So the shooting had nothing to do with the game or what was going on. It, it, just another random act of idiocy. And, and as we talked about earlier, it's not like you've been in some of these new ballparks, these, these open-air ballparks. Not, there's not much really separating the sidewalk from inside the park, right? I mean, you walk out of the gates and you're literally right there on the sidewalk with a lot of these parks. PNC Park's the same way. I mean, you're literally right out there on the street. And that shooting took place right outside the... I, I can't imagine how... Tatis Jr., he ran down and got his family out. His, there were fans in the dugouts. It was nuts. What the hell's wrong with people? So the game was suspended uh, after that disturbing situation. Uh, picked back up yesterday afternoon. Uh, the Padres leading 8-4. to four. And they went on to win the game for whatever it's worth, 10-4. to four. Uh, Tatis Jr., four hits, and he scored twice for San Diego. Uh, Ryan Zimmerman homered for the Nats, who up to that point had lost six straight games. Well, they snapped that streak in the regularly scheduled game. Here's the kick. Here's the pitch. Swing and a fly ball to deep center. Grisham going back, still back, way back. And it's over his head off his glove off the wall. He's on his way to the plate. He will score. And a curly W is in the books. Charlie slows the call on the Nationals radio network. Alcides Escobar with the walk-off single in the ninth to give Washington an 8-7 win. And uh, they snapped that six-game losing streak. Escobar and Juan Soto homered in the eighth inning to give the Nats the lead before the Padres tied it up in the ninth. Uh, Soto and Josh Harrison each ended up with three hits uh, for the Nats. It was their first win this season when trailing by two runs in the eighth inning or later. It was their first, <laughs> to me, that's incredible. They're now 1-36 and 36 in that situation. You would think it happened at least a couple times. Uh, and last but certainly not least, uh, the Orioles. We're trying to help Matt Harvey get off the schneid against uh, his old team, one of his old teams, uh, the Royals. Bases chock full of birds. And Arias goes after the first pitch and hits it fair in the right field. This is going to score multiple runs. Wins and Hayes. Stewart will stop at third and make it a two-run double and another two-hit game. The call on Mid-Atlantic Sports Net that uh, two-run double by Ramon Urias is all that Harvey and the O's would need as they blanked KC 5-0. Harvey 
ended his personal nine-game losing streak by going six strong innings. He allowed just three singles, a one walk, two strikeouts to earn his first win since May 1st. He had been winless in the 12 starts since then. It's the first time since September 2018 that Harvey went at least six innings without allowing a run. Uh, Urias and Austin Hayes each had two hits for the O's. And that is your very lengthy, very expanded rock around the region. Now, I do believe, as I consult the bones here, I want to get this accurate, all right, before we go to break. I don't want to mess anybody up. That all three are in action tonight, is that right? Or the Orioles? No, okay, let's see here. Okay, Orioles open a series tonight uh, at Tampa Bay. Spencer Watkins gets the start uh, for the O's. He'll go opposite Ryan Yarbrough. The Nats open a series at home against Miami. There is absolutely no pitching matchup. For, <laughs> there's not a pitcher listed for either team. <laughs> Both teams right now are undecided. And then the Pirates, uh, they actually kick off a West Coast trip tonight. Oh, this will be a battle. This will be uh, fun. The Pirates at the Diamondbacks, the two worst teams in the National League, two of the worst teams in all of baseball, squaring off, going toe-to-toe in Arizona. Uh, Chase DeG- or was it Chase? Was it DeYoung? Is that how you pronounce that? It looks like DeJong, J-O-N-G, but it's not. And it's, it's DeYoung, right? Uh, Chase DeYoung uh, for the Bucks, uh, Caleb Smith for the Diamondbacks. That's a late start, as you could imagine, out in Arizona. I think it's a, uh, is it a 10 o'clock start, give or take. So there you go. That's what's on the docket tonight for the Nats, the O's, and the Bucks. <laughs> what are they playing for? Right. What are the Pirates and Diamondbacks playing for? Like the the third overall pick in next year's draft? Is that pretty much? <laughs> Look, uh, back in the day, when I I can actually stay up late like some like normal people, before I had to go to bed, like I'll be going to bed when this game starts. But I I, I love West Coast baseball. I, I love the night baseball, right? I don't know if I can stay up to watch Pirates and Diamondbacks. I really, I that's that's a tough sell right there. That's a tough ask for anybody to stay up on the East Coast <laughs> to watch the Pirates and the Diamondbacks. Yeah, Diamondbacks got uh, let's see what twenty seven wins. The Pirates have thirty six. Quick math, that's uh, sixty three. Sixty three combined wins. Between those two teams, uh, the Giants and the Dodgers have 58 by themselves. So there you go. Pirates, Diamondbacks, catch the fever. All right. It's time to catch a break. We got news and uh, weather coming up. When we come back, uh, the final round of the Open Championship played yesterday at Royal St. George's. And we'll tell you who won. And we'll hear from the winner. Uh, Stick around. 102.1 FM, AM 1230, WCMD. This is the Morning Rush. Oh, the texts are starting to roll in now. 
All my boys, I told you uh, earlier, we got together, as we do every year. We meet uh, at my brother's house down in the uh, Richmond area for a long weekend. Which, again, is something I encourage everybody to do. Get together with your friends, like, in person. Not this texting, FaceTime, which is good. It's good. But there's nothing like, you know, hanging out, right? So the texts from my boys are starting to roll in. And uh, uh, they're struggling as well. (laughs) Now, they're not struggling as much as I am. And I'm going to tell you how I know this. Because their texts are rolling in at 7.30. Right? That means they're just getting up, getting their day started. I've already been up for four hours. So that's how I know that their, their struggle was real. But it's not as real as mine. I get home uh, yesterday, and Mrs. C, she asked me, so how was how was the, remember, we were there Thursday, Friday, Saturday, right? We drove down on Thursday. So we kind of had like uh, late Thursday afternoon, Thursday evening, then all day Friday, all day Saturday, and then we left early yesterday, well, relatively early yesterday. So really two like two and a half days when you think about it. So I get home, and Mrs. C was like, you know, how was the weekend? And my first response was, well, uh, nobody died. So that was, you know, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. Some of us may feel like doing it today. That's only two and a half. I can only, oh, boy, if it was a whole week, that would just be diabolical if that was a whole week. It's probably a good thing it's only two and a half days. But I was telling you, you know, we really didn't, we talk a lot of sports when we get together. But you don't really watch a lot of sports. Like, we have sports on in the background. But, you know, when we get together, we're all, you know, we play a bunch of music. We, I told you about the playlist we put together last week. Listen to a lot of music, you know, talk a lot of music. I mean, sports is kind of like a, a, like a background afterthought. But we did have the Open Championship on a lot. Okay, because that's a sport that really, when you think about it, you can have it on in the background. You can watch it. You don't really need the commentary, right? You really don't need to hear golf. It's very conducive to have music playing over top and you can just kind of watch what's going on. Anyway, uh, the Open Championship did wrap up yesterday at the Royal St. George's. Into the hole, and Colin Morikawa is the new Open champion. The 149th champion. Big hug for his caddy. Warm handshake from Louis Oosthuizen. What a performance by Colin Morikawa. So that was the call on The Open Radio. That's what it's called, The Open Radio. Colin Morikawa, in his very first Open Championship, is the Open Champion. At the 149th Open Championship, he closed with a bogey-free 4-under-66 to win in his debut, finishing two shots ahead of uh, Jordan Spieth. His total of 15-under-265 for the tournament was a 72-hole record in the 15 Opens held at Royal St. George's. In 13 of them, the winning score has been five under or lower. He is the first player 
in men's golf history. All right? First one ever to win his tournament debut in two different majors. Right? He also won the PGA Championship last year in his first appearance there. So he debuts at the PGA and the Open, and he wins them both. First player to ever do that. That is impressive. Only difference was last year, there was nobody there, right? You talk about a stark contrast. Last year at the PGA, there was no crowd because, you know, pandemic. Yesterday, he closes things out with like 30,000 people there. So you can imagine a a bit of a a different feeling. He also joins Tiger Woods as the only players to win the Open Championship and the PGA Championship before turning 25 years old. Here is a Colin Morikawa after uh, yesterday's victory. When you make history and I'm 24 years old, it's hard to grasp and it's hard to really take it in. You know, I, a quick little side note was, you know, when Phil won the PGA, I think he's 50 years old, right? I didn't look at him as, you know, this old guy winning. I, I looked at him as still competition that could really play well. You know, if he put everything together, which he did, he could play well and win. So at 24, it's so hard to look back at the, the short two years that I've been a pro and see what I've done because I want more. You know, it's, it's so early on, and I, I enjoy these moments, and I love it, and I think I need to teach myself to embrace it a little more, maybe spend a few extra days uh, sitting back and, and drinking out of this. But, yeah, I need to – yeah. I, I just want more. So this is how uh, impressive Morikawa has been, all right? And we say he's only 24 years old. He's the first player uh, to win two of his first eight major starts since Bobby Jones did it way back in 1926. He's also the youngest player to rally in the final round yesterday and win the Open Championship since Seve Ballesteros in 1979. As a result of that rally, Louis Oosthuizen became the first golfer to lead the Open Championship outright after each of the first three rounds, but not win the tournament. He led after Thursday, Friday, and Saturday. Outright, no ties. And did not win the tournament. First one to do that since Sergio Garcia in 2007. Jordan Spieth shot a 267, which ties for the lowest score for a runner-up in Open history. A lot of history going down at the Open uh, this weekend. Uh, Oosthaven finished in a tie for third with a John Rahm, both uh, 11 under. Uh, Dylan Fratelli was 9 under. Then uh, Kepka and Mackenzie Hughes uh, both finished eight under. Then there was a string of players at seven, and then on and on and on and on. So there you go. Colin Morikawa rallies the final day to win uh, the Open, and his very first Open. And, oh, by the way, uh, just for good measure, takes home a cool $2 million for his efforts. It's not a bad weekend's work, right? Hell, Spieth got 12, he got 1.2 mil, finished in second. That's almost, that's almost, uh, that almost upsets me to hear that. Anyway, uh, one final break and then back to wrap things up. Stick around, WCMD. 
This is the morning rush. I uh, I don't know what I was going through a year ago today. <laughs> you know how they have those uh, those Facebook memories, right? They kind of pops up, you know, like on this day, at whatever year. Like they kind of give you a reminder of what you posted over the years. So. <laughs> Uh, July 19th, 2020, a year ago today. I don't know what exactly prompted me to do this on my personal uh, Facebook page. And I'm just going to read it to you here word for word. Uh, you want to make the quality of your life better? Uh, quit watching the news. Turn off the TV. Get off this wretched site and other cesspools like Twitter and Instagram. Quit listening to other people's opinions as if they matter. They have absolutely no effect on your life whatsoever. Ain't that the truth? Put down your iPhones and iPads and walk away from it all just for one day. You're welcome. I don't know what my state of mind was a year ago today to put that up there, but it pretty much still holds true. I'm serious. We actually discussed this this past weekend. Turn off the news, man. Seriously. Walk away from a lot of this crap and don't look back. <laughs> oh, the opinion thing is spot on. I, I'm, I, you know, you try to live like that. Whenever you realize that other people's opinions of you, of you don't matter, well, your life gets easier. When you realize that other people's words have no bearing on you whatsoever, unless you allow it to happen, oh, your life gets easier. It really does. It really does. Uh, all right, let's go. I, I see this here. This is uh, bad news for uh, you West Virginia and Big 12 fans. Oklahoma just continues to stockpile uh, football talent. Yesterday, the Sooners added its second uh, top 300 prospect in as many days uh, from the class of 2023. They got quarterback Malachi Nelson announced his commitment to uh, OU. He's 6'3", $1.80, from Los Alamitos High School in Cali. He chose Oklahoma over Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, and USC. As a sophomore, this cat threw for 1,513 yards, 23 touchdowns, with only four interceptions in just 115 pass attempts. He is the number three quarterback in the junior 300 behind Arch Manning and Dante Moore. Third best quarterback in the class of 2023. He's now going to Oklahoma. And this comes after, a day after, the Sooners got a commitment from Trayon Webb who is the number eight running back in the country for the class of 2023. He chose Oklahoma over Georgia and Ohio, there's Ohio State again. So Ohio State loses out on Webb and Nelson, both to Oklahoma. OU has eight total commits uh, from 2022 and 23 led by defensive end uh, Derek Moore in the class of 2022. That's insane. That Good luck. There's a reason why Oklahoma is favored 
to win the Big 12 like every single year. There's a reason why they've won the last six Big 12 titles. Because that's it. That's the recruits they get. The rich get richer, man, right? The rich get richer. And that's all that's all you need to know. You can sit there and talk about recruiting and recruiting rankings and you know, a lot of times there's hits and there's misses, right? Just because they're ranked high, just because they're ranked as a, a you know a certain prospect, doesn't necessarily mean they always pan out, right? But all I need to see, all I need to see, is this Malachi Nelson chose Oklahoma over Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, and USC. That's all I need to see. If those schools are going after him, that's it. Right? That's it. That's all I need to know. So, again, uh, very bad news uh, for the Big 12 as the Sooners continue to rack up the recruits. Now, whether they'll stay there or not is another story because, you know, kids just don't stay at the same team anymore in, in college sports. All right, before we get out of here, uh, let's take a look at the player who delivered, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping and Supply Yard. And we just talked about this guy. It's your open champion, Colin Morikawa. Into the hole, and Colin Morikawa is the new open champion. The 149th champion. Big hug for his caddy. Warm handshake from Louis Tazen. What a performance by Colin Morikawa. Morikawa rallies on the final day of the Open. Uh, to beat Jordan Spieth by two strokes, first player to win uh, two of his first eight major starts since Bobby Jones in 1926. Youngest player to rally on the final round and win the Open since Seve Ballesteros in 1979. So Colin Morikawa, for his Open Championship victory, the player who delivered uh, for himself, really, uh, brought to you by All Seasons Landscaping, and supply yard. Now, I told you uh, before we went to last break that for his victory, uh, Morikawa pockets a cool uh, two million bucks. Jordan Spieth, uh, for finishing second, uh, one point two million. Again, not a bad weekend's uh, worth of work. <laughs> I go through these numbers, and it's really, uh, it's really insane. I'm just going down the list. And I just kind of stop at a certain number. There were seven players tied for 26th, right? Including uh, Xander Shoffley, right? Seven players tied for 26th. Each one of those players uh, took home just under 80000 bucks. 79821 bucks for finishing in a tie for 26th. If you think about it too much, it actually kind of upsets you. That's that's kind of that's kind of uh, insane. Yeah, that's kind of disgusting, actually. For four days, now look, I understand there's a lot more work that goes into it. You're just not working for four days. I understand that. I'm just saying a tournament is four days long. That's when you're putting in. That's when you're putting all the practice to work, right? For four days, you can tie for twenty six. And make eighty thousand bucks. Get your kids. Get your kids on the links right now. Right now. 
If that's what is what is okay, what was the lowest payout since we're on it? What was the lowest payout? Sam Burns. There were two guys. I can't even pronounce this one guy. Is it Poom Sakanison? I don't know. Sa- I, I can't even pronounce it. And Sam Burns. They tied for 76. <laughs> they t- they t- they tied for 76th and still made 26,000 bucks. These are the guys that finished just above the cut. They finished at plus 8. Their golf cart looked like mine. Plus 8 for the tournament. And they still made 26,000 bucks. I mean, hey, I'm not trying to be a hater. Good for them. That's awesome. Okay. You, you put your life into golf, right? You practice all the time, uh, all the practice rounds and the hours and hours and hours. And, all right. That's, that's almost obscene. But <laughs> you can finish time for 76 and still pocket 26000 After taxes, you take home like what, 2000 something like that? I don't know. All right, a reminder. Uh, Burke, the venerable one, is back in the studio tomorrow. Uh, Wednesday and Thursday, as a matter of fact. And then I'm gone again. <laughs> Took the long weekend last weekend. I got, I'm got i putting in four days this week, and then I'm off for, what is it, eight days? So there you go. Just letting you know, off, off the bat, what it's going to be like. And it's summertime. i got to use my vacation sooner or later, right? That's what it's there for. All right, uh, stick around. Amanda is coming up next with Tri-State today, and then Hoppy is after that. Then the uh, Dan Bongino Show from noon until 3. Thanks for listening. I appreciate you. Enjoy the rest of your day. See you back here tomorrow, 6 a.m. sharp. This is the Morning Rush. I am Tony C., and I am done. Bye!